Thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Welcome to, to Spring Mountain, welcome to church as it's been for the last few months. Um, I want to talk first of all about fake sayings or things that people say wrong. So you know, when someone says Pacific instead of specific, really, really annoys you Faye, doesn't it, an English teacher, yeah? Pacific instead of specific, you know? The Pacific is an ocean, specific is a particular point you're trying to make. Don't confuse the two. And there's things like that that really sort of get you goat a little bit, don't they? Do you know what I mean? Yeah? Little sayings that don't make sense. I'm talking to people with masks on, and I don't know whether they're agreeing with me. I don't know whether they're going, no, Johnny, I don't know what you're talking about. It's very confusing. I'm just going to assume they're all smiling at me, so that's fine. You know, sometimes people change sayings to suit themselves because they don't listen carefully enough and they take things out of context. So, you know, one of my favourite comedians is Dave Gorman and he calls them catchphrases. Why does he call them catchphrases? Because somebody's misheard the word catchphrase and called them catchphrase. And that's a bit stupid because a catchphrase surely is just meow or I don't know, who knows. But um, some of my favourites are things like this, people tweeting about them saying, oh, that someone was like a bowl in a china shop. What's unusual about a bowl in a china shop? Surely that's where bowls belong, you know? Bowl in a china shop. And people start tweeting it and copying it, going, bowl in a china shop. Yeah, you know, a bull in a china shop, I understand. That's talking about somebody who rushes in and causes damage without thinking. A bull in a china shop. You're like a bull in a china shop. Like a bowl in a china shop surely just means you're fairly normal. Barry, you're like a bowl in a china shop. I'm not sure about that. Okay. Another one I've heard is this. See if you can work out what was said. You can't do this because you watch the program. Okay, Doc, because I'm not letting you in on this. Flaming yawn. Somebody tweeted, I've never tried flaming yawn, but I'd really like to give it a go. Anyone any ideas what they're talking about? And this isn't one person. This is like hundreds of people will say this. Anyone any ideas? Well done, Phil. Last, it's that steak or beef. It's a filet mignon. Okay, I've never tried a filet mignon, but I've really loved to. Someone's going, I've never tried a flaming yawn. Neither have I. I'm not a fire eater, but you know, perhaps a dangerous thing a flaming yawn. Or the, the other two that I really like are it takes two to tangle. It takes two to tangle. Or I should have started with this one because from the gecko, you know, I'm going to tell you this from the gecko, as if lizards can speak. What, what are they hearing there? I'm going to tell you this from the get-go. That means from the beginning. Not from the gecko. It's nothing to do with reptiles. So these things sometimes, straight from the gecko this morning, I'm going to talk about a passage in Timothy where there's a very famous saying. And the whole passage is linked around it. But people have misquoted it, have misread it, and misheard it. And so it's become this fake saying. But it's really important as we listen to God's word that we take it in. That we don't misquote flaming yawns and we don't say from the gecko. But we actually say, God, your word is truth. Let me hear it and let me know it. So I'm going to read from chapter, <laughs> get there, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
verses 1 to 11. I'm going to start with verses 1 to 2, reading from the uh, NIV. So the first little section is finishing last week, so I'm not going to spend ages on it, but verses 1 to 2 says this, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. I'm just going to stop there. This, these two verses throw up a bit of controversy because people read them and go, see, the Bible is endorsing slavery. You know, Paul is writing, saying, this is how slaves you've got to behave. Masters, this is how you've got to behave. And that's what I want people to do. We could apply these verses today to employers and employees. We could apply them today to school teachers and pupils. We could apply them today to church and workers or church and service leaders and servers, whatever. But many look at these Bible verses and think that the Bible promotes slavery. No, it doesn't. It was speaking into a culture that had gone very wrong. And Paul and Timothy are trying to speak into this culture where slavery was allowed and often was a way of somebody repaying a debt. It was often a way of saying, I can't pay you back, but I'll serve you in this way. But many people ignored the rule because the rule was this. After six years, you had to set the slave free. No matter what they owed you, after six years of serving and helping, the slave was to be released. But people ignored it and just kept rolling it on and on and on. Six years after six years after six years after six years. And so the slavery problem happened. In fact, in Jeremiah 34, read it at your own leisure, God called for an immediate release of all slaves and for it to be finished with. So back in the Old Testament, God said, don't want that. We don't want slaves. Nobody is to be under the yoke of slavery. But just as I said at the beginning, we're a bit slow to listen. And we're a little bit slow to take it on board. But let's apply this teaching to us today, either as an employee or as somebody who's in a household, children and parents. Okay, guys? Children and parents, teachers and pupils, employers, employees, just friends even. We are to give full respect and serve the best we can. Let's take that verse. That's what it's saying. We are to give full respect and serve the best we can. Anyone got a problem with that? No. That's what God's calling us to do, to give full respect and serve the best we can. That was radical for slaves, and it's radical today for us, to serve and respect. How many of us have been in situations where we've just turned up and not given our best, where we've just turned up and given the minimum, where we've just thought, oh, I can't be bothered today. I really don't want to do this, but I'm just going to go and do it anyway. As Christians, God says, give your best. Respect the boss. And as Christians, our boss is God. As Christians, that is the boss. So Paul says these are the things to teach. All the previous lessons from 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, these are the things I want you to teach. Get rid of the false teachings. Get rid of the things that cause problems. And this is the truth of God. Get rid of the things that are leading people down the wrong paths. Stop the false teaching in the church. And then he goes on to finish the chapter. And we're going to finish the chapter off next week. So this is like the first half of two parts. He goes on to talk about this. Verses 3 to 5 in 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this. 
If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. That's quite strong, isn't it? I'm sure we can apply them to leaders in our countries where it talks about actually a people giving godly instruction. Yeah, they're not pastors. Yeah, they're not ministers. Boris Johnson isn't supposed to be leading a church. But actually, as a leader, do we want integrity? Do we want somebody who isn't conceited, who isn't, who isn't understanding of nothing, who doesn't have an unhealthy interest in stoking up strife and controversy, who doesn't want to cause division? And it goes on to finish that bit by saying that some of these people think that godliness is a means to financial gains. These words can test our hearts today. All quite negative, unhealthy, interesting controversies and quarrels, words that result in envy and strife. These are things we need to stay away from. As Christians, God says, don't get involved in it. Don't get involved in words that cause evil suspicions, malicious talk, strife and envy. Constant friction. Is that a good place to be in, constant friction? Don't think so. Friction causes things to heat up a little bit and get uncomfortable, doesn't it? I tore tore my pants yesterday, probably because of constant friction. You didn't want to know that, but it was getting down off a ladder and I stretched too much. So I'm not wearing them today, you'll be glad to know. But constant friction causes things to heat up. And God's saying, actually, no, I don't want that constant friction. I want you to be united as one, as church. Maybe we can sit here today and say, well, that's not me. I'm not like that. I don't stir up controversy. I don't stir up evil thoughts. But let's examine our hearts. Here's a saying that people use. Is it in the Bible? Yes or no? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Anyone put your hand up if you think that's in the Bible? Anyone? Well done, you're not, it's not, it's not in the Bible. In fact, cleanliness isn't next to godliness in the dictionary either. I don't know what it is, but it's not, in the, it's not next to godliness anywhere. What that saying is saying, it was a proverb that was used by John Wesley, the preacher, to say that actually when we are being godly, it will be noticed on the outside as well as the inside. That actually we will be having clean hands, clean hearts and clean ears. <laughs> Nothing worse than having your ears blocked so you can't hear John Wesley was saying, clean your hands, clean your heart, clean your ears, and then God will break through, and that will be a sign that you are godly. Nowadays, we're sanitizing our hands like there's no tomorrow, aren't we? Yeah? Anyone got cracked hands from using so much hand gel? Yeah? No? No? No excuse for not having dirty, for having dirty hands these days. Boris got that catchphrase, hasn't he, at the moment? Hands, face, space. It's a bit like... uh, the YMCA almost, isn't it? <laughs> hands, face, face. It's fun to stay. No, it's fun to wash your hands. I, won't, I haven't even thought of a song. Sanitizing our hands is good, yeah? Put your hand if you agree. Sanitizing our hands is a good thing. But sanitizing our hearts is better. Sanitizing our hearts. We go out of our way every time we go in a shop to sanitize our hands. Every time we come into a building to sanitize our hands. Maybe you've got them by your front door of your house. Sanitize your hands. Well, every time you see that sanitizer, and that is a lot, I want you to think, God, sanitize my heart. 
God, clean me from the inside. The outside, yes, it's important, but the inside is far more important. Sanitize my heart. Here in Timothy, we see people who think godliness will lead to financial gain. Have you heard that message preached? Even in churches, that godliness will lead to prosperity. That is a very dangerous message to preach. It also isn't something the Bible endorses. It isn't something the Bible endorses. In 2006, there was a poll taken by the Times that found that 17%, and I'm sorry, this is not, it was American Christians that were polled, Jackie, so no offense, it was just the poll. 17% of American Christians identify explicitly with the prosperity gospel movement. That's 17%, that's almost a fifth of American Christians at the time. While 31% of them keep hold of the idea that if you give your money to God, God will bless you with more money. That's a third of Christians that were polled. I suspect there'll be similar ratios in our country. I don't think it's immune. There was a full 61% that agreed with the more general idea that God wants people to be prosperous. That God wants people to be prosperous. And by that they mean be blessed, have the nice house, have the nice car, have the good job, have the money. That is 61%. That's two-thirds almost of the people believe that by following God, you're going to rake it in. The Bible doesn't teach that. There was a quote that says this. It is not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. That's a quote. It could be from today, couldn't it? It was from 1890 by a man called Frederick Huntingdon. The one thing that is going to turn people off God is that when we talk about the fact that we're luxurious, sensuous, proud, and hollow-hearted because of money. We are doing a book group. Some of, some of you who come to church know we have a book group. We meet on a Friday. It's two o'clock till roughly half past two at the moment. It's on Zoom. It's very easy and quick. We read a chapter of the book every week. At the moment, we're reading Francis Chan's Crazy Love. And it's a brilliant book. This week's chapter couldn't be more appropriate to some of the things that Timothy writes in this book, in this passage, sorry. Paul writes in this passage. Let me get it right. And Francis Chan wrote this book, and this is one of the quotes from this week's chapter. And I believe this needs to strike to our hearts. We need to have sanitized ears, hearts, and hands to hear this. Has your relationship with God actually changed the way you live? Do you see evidence of God's kingdom in your life, or are you choking it out slowly by spending too much time, energy, money, and thought on the things of this world? That's a challenging statement. Has your relationship with God changed anything in your life? Or is it drowned out by the things of this world? So people believe that God wants people to be prosperous. I believe God wants people to be spiritually prosperous. He wants them to have hearts that are filled with him. He wants to have lives that are filled with serving him and putting him first and giving him the best. You know, let's look at what the Bible says. It says this, you know, Jesus left the riches of heaven to be born into poverty, to be born into the the poor. He left the riches of everything to take up that. Why did he do it? For you and for me. 
Does that speak of prosperity, wealth? No. It speaks of prosperity of spirit. It speaks of accumulating everything that is heavenly and not worrying about the earthly. What about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus. He had everything, didn't he? He was a a tax collector. He was rich. He was wealthy. He encountered Jesus. What did he do? He gave twice as much back. He gave twice as much back. He didn't keep hold of it. He got rid of it and gave it away. What about Paul? The Apostle Paul, the man who's writing this letter. He left the security and probable comfort of his life for the difficulty of living for Christ. He didn't do it because he thought, I'm going to rake it in. He did it because he wanted to see more of Jesus. He wanted to know more of him. You know, people who tried to keep hold of it all in the Bible don't come out of it very well. They don't come out of it very well. The rich man that came to Jesus said, what must I do to be saved? And he says, I've done all the commandments. I've followed these rules. I've done it. I've been religious. And Jesus said, well, sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. And it says, he went away sad. He went away sad. He met Jesus and went away sad. Today, I can tell you, you can meet Jesus and go away being satisfied. He met Jesus and went away sad. Why? Because his heart was filled with the things of this world. His heart was filled with prosperity and wealth and money and all of those things. The rich man went away sad. Priscilla and Aquila, yes, they gave some of their money, but they died because they wanted to keep it all for themselves. Their heart was filled with the greed of this world. It's here in black and white in 1 Timothy that it is false to teach that godliness is a means to financial gain. If you hear anybody saying that, can't be true. The Bible says it's, it's rubbish. It's not true. That godliness will not lead us as a means to financial gain. We don't follow God for ourselves. We follow it for him and his kingdom. For him and his goodness. For him and his word. So when we see televangelists saying, sow a seed into my ministry and you'll be blessed. Does it echo with God's word? Does it say that's true? You might be blessed in terms of giving to an organization that's going to help the poor. But there's no guarantee you're going to get what you get back what you give. (laughs) That was a bit of a tongue twister. We're called in the Bible to be generous givers and to not expect it in return. To be generous and not to expect. To be generous and not to expect. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. When asked for alms, they held out, he held out his palms and Peter and John, this they said, or something like that. What did they say? Silver and gold have I not. They didn't have anything. They weren't going around saying, follow God and you'll be raking it in. Silver and gold have I not. But what I have got is Jesus. And that's going to bless you. And the man went walking, leaping and praising God. Not because he got money, because he'd been getting money every day at the gates. But he got life. He got God. Because he asked for the right thing for the right people. What we have is greater than gold. It is the goodness of God. Do we believe that this morning? What we have is greater than gold. You might be sitting there today and going, well, that's great, Johnny, but I'm struggling to pay my bills. God says we have what we need. We'll come on to that in a minute. Godliness is not about financial gain. 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 to 9 says this. Godliness isn't about financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. 
And here's what contentment is. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have enough, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The message version says this, a devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. That's richness, being yourself before God. That's rich. Being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless, we'll leave it penniless. If we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that is enough. That's what the Bible teaches us. If we have bread on our table and shoes on our feet, that is enough. Yes, there are people across our world that might not have shoes on their feet. We've been to Uganda and provided them with Crocs as a church. You'd think Crocs were the last thing anyone wants to wear. They loved them. And the lads loved the bright pink ones over there. It was quite amazing. Shoes on their feet and bread on the table. Because the wealth that we have, we're called to share it. We're called to give generously. We're called to go and serve the poor. What is enough for us this morning? What is enough for you and for me? What is your enough Maybe you're thinking, if I just have the next gadget, that will be enough. Won't need any more gadgets. If I just have the next one, if I just have that next car, if I just get that next car, that will be enough. I'll be satisfied. That will be enough. Contentment is not found in stuff. It's found in a saviour. Contentment is not found in goods. It's found in godliness. Contentment with godliness will bring satisfaction. Do we want to be content in life? get godly. The book we've been reading in book club was talking about those people who are lukewarm. In Revelation, there's a letter written to the church that is lukewarm and it says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because being lukewarm, you're neither hot or cold. It's like Katy Perry almost quoted that. You're neither hot or cold. You're lukewarm. And lukewarm, ugh, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is some of the quotes from the book challenging us that we've read it. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It's what, he, it's, it's what is expected of them, what they believe good Christians do. So they go to church. That's what lukewarm people do. They go to church. Maybe that's us. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to others. They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as such and such, they're nowhere near as horrible as the person down the street. Do we do that? Do we compare our godliness with somebody who hasn't got God? Or do we say, actually, I want to be more like Jesus? Lukewarm people say they love Jesus and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, a section of their money, and a section of their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to be in control of their life. Is that us? Challenging words, this book, isn't it? It's been a hard chapter this week for us to look at. Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time 
money and energy they are willing to give. Lukewarm people are thankful for their luxuries and comfort and rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. They're quick to point out, Jesus never said that money was the root of all evil, just the love of money. Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without it requiring too much of them. It's an amazing book to read. Can I encourage you to read it? But it is challenging. And it's no good reading it and not changing. Does God change who we are? Are we continually being changed into his likeness? If we are chasing after the next big thing, it will probably hang over us. It will probably leave us disappointed and never satisfied. Do you know what it's like to have money burning a hole in your pocket? Or see children, any of the children here, when you've got money, have you got to spend it? Have you got to spend it? Or are you putting it in a piggy bank? Do you got to spend it? Yeah, yeah, got to spend it, got to spend it. You know, children and young people are particularly just impatient. Adults are as well. There's people who in here struggles when they've got money in their pocket and think, oh, I just, just want to spend it. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, very honest of you, well done. You know, we've had plenty of young people through our house who get a weekly allowance and they get it into a bank account and they've got to save it towards what they want. And actually, often they'll say, I really want this. At the moment, it might be FIFA 21. I know that doesn't mean anything to anyone, but that's 50 quid, that game. FIFA 21. 20 pound in the bank, I'm going to buy some clothes. <laughs> Forget FIFA 21, I've got 20 pounds, I'm going to spend it. And they lose sight of the goal. Our goal isn't FIFA 21. Our goal is heaven eternal, okay? I don't think that's a game, but I think it's more important. They get a bit of money and they keep on, stand, instead of saving it, they spend it. How many examples of Jesus' followers had it all and more? How many examples in the Bible are there of people who had it all financially and more? Not many. Not many. Yet they were willing to go through horrendous things and still stand firm on Jesus. And we finished by coming to the cat phrase. Okay? We finished by coming to the cat phrase this morning. Catch phrase, sorry. Because this passage finishes by saying the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil because money can be used for good. You know, people, there are incredible philanthropists, that's the word, isn't it? Philanthropists, that's hard to say, who are incredibly generous. People who have donated millions and millions and millions of pounds to give and give and give and give. And because of them, things are a bit better for other people. So money is not the root of all evil. But when money is the thing in our hearts... That is when it becomes a problem. We're called to not be in love with money. We're called to not be obsessed with money because it causes people to wander down the wrong paths. Finish where we start next week. It finishes with this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to start with this verse next week. It says this, having said all this about money, having said all this about teaching, it says this, but you, man of God, Flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. But you, man or woman of God, this could be said, insert yourself into this sentence. But you, man or woman of God, flee from all of that. Run away. What are we called to pursue? We're called to pursue things that are right, things that are godly. Faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 
That's the challenge. To run from the stuff that is wrong and to chase after the stuff that is good. Pursue is an action word, isn't it? It means to strive, to long for, to chase. What are we chasing right now? Maybe today you're thinking, I wish I could win the lottery. Doesn't always end well for people who win the lottery. Doesn't always lead to a good place. Maybe it's a pay rise, a bigger car, a bigger house. Chase scenes in films are exciting, aren't they? The Italian job is one that I remember of the minis racing down the streets of, of Italy. Is it Italy? It's Italy. That's because it's the Italian job. That's, yeah, thanks, Peter, for nodding and encouraging me in my stupidity. That's fine. They chase down the streets. It's exciting. A chase is exciting. We're called to chase after God, and that chase can be exciting. It has twists and turns. It has ups and downs. It has moments where you think, I can't go on. It has moments where you might think, you know, I've got another idea. I think that, is that the phrase they used in the lobby? Was that Frank Spencer? Anyway, never mind. Does our pursuit of God fill us with joy? Or do we think, actually, I'd rather have the stuff. I'll go to church, but I'd rather have the stuff. Because God has already chased us. God has already pursued us with an everlasting love. He's already pursued us with a saviour that will make a difference. He's already pursued us with a saviour who gave his life for you and me. So I believe it's time we started to chase after the one who's already chased us. It's time we started to chase after the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. It's time for us to chase after the one who promises change and transformation in our lives. Who promises living water that will never run dry. Who promises life to the full. He doesn't promise money in the bank. But he does promise loving your heart. And he does promise sanitizing from the inside out. What will it be today? Because we need to build up some stamina and fitness if we're going to chase. So starting today, let's get training. Let's get running after him. And running from the stuff that will drag us down. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. And I pray, Lord, today that we will know more of who you are in our hearts. Father, help us to challenge ourselves. Help us not to take offense, but help us to be people who are willing to hear, that have ears that are clean, that have hearts that are clean, that have hands that are clean, so that we can know that that cleanliness of heart, hands and ears and eyes is definitely going to give us more godliness as we seek after Jesus. Help us to pursue you every day and help us to train so we can run faster and stronger for you. To not focus on the stuff, but to fix our eyes on the Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen.